is Gilbert Gottfried and this is Gilbert Gottfried's amazing colossal podcast with my co-host Frank Santo Padre 50 years ago today Thursday September 24th 1970 one of TV's most unforgettable and most beloved situation comedies premiered on ABC Gary Marshall and Jerry Belsom's uh, adaptation of Neil Simon's The Odd Couple. Listeners to this show know how much Frank and I admire the writing and performances. And of course, Neil Hefty's wonderful theme music. So in honor of the 50th anniversary, we've assembled a panel of experts and fellow odd couple enthusiast for a fond look back. David Juskow is a popular writer and comedian who's appeared on HBO's Crashing and Comedy Central's TV Funhouse. He hosts his own entertaining podcast called The Nightfly, and he's also produced and starred in live stage recreations of classic odd couple episodes featuring comedy pals such as Sarah Silverman. Bob Leschek is a syndicated radio personality, voice actor, pop culture expert, and the author of several books on pop music and classic television, including single season sitcoms of the 1990s from the small screen to vinyl. Dynamic duos, who did it first, great pop cover songs, and appropriately, the odd couple on stage and screen. And last but not least, Adam Klugman and Dave Klugman are the sons of legendary Emmy-winning actor Jack Klugman and comedian Brett Summers and co-editors of the terrific 2005 memoir Tony and Me about the decades-long working relationship and friendship between their father and co-star Tony Randall. Adam even appeared in two episodes of the show, playing, who else, 
Young Oscar Madison. This special episode is being brought to you by our friends at Mandar Cologne, Belkin Airlines, <laughs> Elmo's <laughs> Barnacle Glue, and Felix Unger Photography Portrait, a specialty. <laughs> Welcome, gentlemen. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, wow. Gilbert. Gil you, Gil, you got through that one. Yeah. I, I, well, I mean, with only like about five mistakes in this pronunciation. <laughs> but who's counting? And, 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 the Klugman boys are here, and it's like looking at two Jack Klugmans. <laughs> <laughs> With a little Brett in there. You gotta throw a little Brett in there. Feel it! I gotta, uh, first, before anything else, the to me, the real hot couple, uh, Jack Klugman, back when he was a struggling actor with no money, who was he roommates with? Ah. Uh. Mo Charles Bronson. Yeah, Charles most famously, Bronson. Charles right. Bronson. Yeah, yeah I, that, that to me, to me, that would have been uh, a great show. Charles Bronson <laughs> and Jack. <Bronson. laughs> In the Odd Couple? He, yeah. he, said, he said they were like the Odd Couple. I mean, Charles Bronson was very neat, very particular, very fussy. My, my, my old man, so you say that they lived, it was so cold in the apartment that he would keep jars, right? Right, Dave, didn't he tell you this? Uh, yeah. They would keep jars next to his bed and he would just piss right in the bed because they couldn't <laughs> afford heat. That's how poor they were. And he'd wake up and Charles would be like, what's all, my dad would have like jars of urine next to him because it was too cold to get out of the bed. So Charles Bronson was the Felix Hunger? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, oh, yeah. yeah, 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 oh yeah. That makes Charles Bronson the greatest actor of our time. Yes. <laughs> Absolutely. And, and I heard him, uh, Klugman say in an interview that they both owned one white shirt each. Yeah. And that they was were, for that, special they were, they were poor. That was yeah. their, they were really poor. Yeah. When I toured with, when I toured with my dad, because I, I toured as a prop guy when they did the show in the summers, I, I, I remember, you know, he used to, would go to dinner, he'd take like a doggy bag in those days, and he'd put a half a sandwich in the drawer every night. And finally I said, what's up with the half a sandwich in the drawer? He looked at me, and it wasn't a funny look in his eye. He said, if you've ever really been hungry, you won't have to ask that question. Wow. <laughs> wow. And that's how hungry he was when he was living yeah. with Charles Bronson. At least it wasn't and, the urine jar. And the urine jar. <laughs> and, and I heard that it was... I don't they, know what they, they were doing with that. They both had jobs. <laughs> both of them have, had, like, jobs to do with those shirts. Like, Jack Lugman would wash them both in the bathtub, and then Charles Bronson would iron them. That's right. You're right. Yeah. I remember that's that. Right. I, that's that's right. I totally true. forgot. You're right. I remember him talking about that. That's true. That's and, true. And he said Charles Bronson had muscles on his muscles, yeah. and to watch him with an ironing board. <laughs> Gilbert, you've done homework. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. For me to do any research and know who our guests are, <laughs> you should be flattered. <laughs> Dave, Dave, Dave and Adam, it's it's in the book. It's in it's in Tony and me, but it's it's worth uh, repeating for people who don't know this. I think actually Ron Friedman, uh, writer of seven Odd Couple episodes, told us this on a previous episode. But but please explain how Dad uh, uh, kind of got into acting in part to avoid a loan shark. 
You want to take this one there? All right, I won't. <laughs> um, so, right, he, not only was he poor when he was an actor, he grew up, like, poor, go to bed hungry every night. Poor. It's South Philly. It's South Philly, yeah. yeah. Well, only Jewish kid, all Italian neighborhood, really rough. Um, he had $3,000 in savings bonds that a rich uncle had given to him to do something with. And he gambled it all away. Now, $3,000 back then is about $45,000 today. And not only had he had he gambled all that money away, he was in hock to a loan shark for another like 500, which was, you know, seven grand or whatever it is. So he he felt terrible about himself. Right. He just couldn't. Obviously, you lose 50 grand and you're eight or 20 years old or something like that. He, he was it was bad. So he had to get out of town because the, the loan shark was called Uncle Tommy. But he was suddenly wasn't so fucking avuncular anymore when he owed him money, right? So so he was literally like, look, if you don't give me the money, I'm going to break your kneecaps. And that's actually, I remember him literally saying, come on, John, you give me a break. I've been gambling with you for years. He goes, this is your break. If you're here tomorrow, I'm going to break your leg. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's what, that's, and that's when he went home and finished the story, bro. Finished. So so he, he he's, thinks about, he was in the service very briefly, right? And there was a guy in the service who had gone to Carnegie Tech, which is now Carnegie Mellon, in the drama department. Um, and my father, another story about, had always secretly wanted to be an actor. But, you know, you didn't tell anybody in South Philly that you wanted to be an actor, right? That'd be like saying you wanted to be a florist when you grew up, right? That's not going to go over well. <laughs> That's not going not gonna to do, do well in that neighborhood. So he didn't tell anybody. So he had this kind of secret wish that one day would be an actor. He had to get out of town. It's Pittsburgh. He's in Philly. He figures Pittsburgh's just far enough away that he can, that he maybe can go to Carnegie Mellon. So he leaves and he goes to, drives to Pittsburgh, parks in the Carnegie Mellon parking, Carnegie Tech parking lot, wakes up in the morning, goes to a gas station bathroom, combs his hair, and go, goes up to the drama desk at Carnegie Tech. I mean, I don't know what he was thinking. Like, were they waiting for him? But he goes up to the, he says, I want to audition for uh, the drama department. And they say, uh, they say, great. And they hand him, uh, they hand him Our Town. And they say, read the stage manager and come back tomorrow and audition. And Kyle Van has never auditioned for anything in his life. He doesn't know what an audition is. He's never spoken with anyone, right? I mean, he's never spoken publicly in front of anyone. So he gets a little motel room and he practices, but he doesn't know what the hell he's doing. And he comes back the next day and uh, gets up in front of the people to audition. And and when he steps in there, there's like Nancy Marshand was in his class, all like oh, yeah, wealthy. Oh, yeah, the Sopranos. Right, all like wealthy, middle class, wealthy and upper class. Soon to be starlets, you know. Yeah, soon to be starlets. Everybody is... Everybody's all the men are at war, which is why they said, "Great, come back tomorrow." He's the first man that's walked in there, and you know, <laughs> ever probably, but there are no men. So he gets up, he looks out at this sea of these really well-bred, classy, 18, 19 year old young women, and he totally chokes, and he just runs off, and he thinks, "Well, Jesus Christ, getting my knees broken has got to be easier than this. This is just brutal." And the, uh, and the, 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 but he's not done yet because the acting teacher has to assess him. It's going to interview him. And she says to him, she says, Mr. Klugman, um, I, uh, I do not think you are an actor. You, 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 what does he say, Dave? What, what is it? What is it? Said, like? I, it, we said you were, 
I don't think you're more suited to be a truck driver than you are an actor. Yeah. Yeah. But you see my problem. I have no men. So when the war war was coming to a close, we were clearly winning. When the men come home, I'm probably going to ask you to leave. And the old man says, am I in? Right? He doesn't care. (laughs) (laughs) She says, for now. And that, and that that's how he got his start. Running wow. from a bookie. And yeah. then he paid the guy back slowly over time, Uncle Tommy. Yeah, he says in the book he got a busboy job and paid Uncle Tommy back, which which immediately made me think of the cookie episode where he owes the money. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> he takes the job as the short order cook because he owes Felix. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Part time job. Yeah, the money he lost on a horse. And yeah, yeah. How, how many Twilight Zones? Did Jack Klugman... Four. 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 Wait, okay. now let me ask you guys a question. Who can name them? For the love of Pip. Oh. Go ahead, yeah, Bob. In praise of Pip. In praise, praise, praise of Pip. Thank you, Gilbert. Who else? And the uh, other one was with Jonathan... Winters, the pool. Game of pool. A game, game of pool. pool. Oh, game and pool. The, the one with the horn. Uh, oh, yeah, the coronet. Trump. The, the uh, trumpet. What is the name of that one? Uh, yeah. The trumpet. Yeah, the trumpet. Uh, and what was the... No, Death Ship oh. is the one he didn't like. Death Ship, the that's the one, one nobody ever remembers. Right. And yeah. uh, what's the trumpet title, Frank? Oh, I've got it written down somewhere. Shit, I should know this. I asked the test. Adam, the did he uh, Did he have like a relationship with Rod Serling or something? He was Rod in Rod Serling loved him. Oh, he did? Yeah. Loved his face. He, he used loved to use face. a lot of the people he liked a lot, clearly. He right? did. And then later, he di- later, no, earlier, he had done something that felt... That Rod Sterling had written called The Velvet Alley, which yes. if, if you've never seen it, with Art Carney. all there is on on it's on YouTube and it's just uh, the video quality is horrible, but it's just great. It's live. It's Playhouse 90 live TV uh. with Art Carney uh, and Rod Sterling. It's 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 just classic. It did, Rod Sterling seemed to like comedians. He wrote that episode just for Carol Burnett. Right. And stuff. He yeah, seemed yeah. to yes, like the, that. The name of that episode is Passage for Trumpet. Passage for Trumpet, thank you. And I will also I add, test. in that Playhouse 90 episode you're talking about, a young Mickey Dolan shows up as a child. Wow. Child, <laughs> child really? Mickey yep. Braddock. Yep. As Mickey Braddock. Very good, Bob. Wow. Yeah. Who, and, who got and, that? Um, nice. What, uh, we had on the podcast Billy Mummy, who was the little kid in In Praise of Pip. That's right. right. That's and, which, right. which is an episode I love. That's one of the That's a great ones. one. Dave, you got a story about that, don't you? About about you about dad clashing with a director. Well, at, was it yeah, Pip? I think it was the trumpet, the passage, passage for, trumpet, for trumpet, which was as I recall the second one. I actually have a visual aid. Look, nobody else can see this. Oh, this guy brought visual aids. Yeah. Oh, jeez! <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're a pro, Dave. For, for an idiot like me, pictures. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, this the short. Thank you, Gilbert. Anyway, the short story is uh, this director, because my dad was, you know, he was thirty two. He had done one Twilight Zone. This was his second. Rod clearly liked him, but he was no shoe, and he'd done, you know, really not much. And this director kept sort of asking him, and not so a directorial kind of way, but more in like do it this kind of way to play the scene. And every time my dad did it, he would come back and say, you know, it doesn't feel true. It's just not the way I'm playing the character. And he'd say, try it again, Jack. So after seven times, my dad looked at the guy and he said, Jerry, I'm not doing it your way. And the guy looks at him and says, Jack, I don't think you understand. I'm not asking you. And my dad, with two nickels in his pocket, said, Jerry, we have a good relationship. And 
you're good for a job here and there, and I hope I serve you, put a little food on each other's table, but you can take this job and shove it up your ass. Because if, if I've got to climb into your head and be what you need me to be this week, and then next week I do the same thing with another director, pretty soon I'm not going to know who the fuck I am. Good for him. And, and so that created a hullabaloo. And, of course, Rod Serling came down, and being the actor's actor, he looked at Jerry and said, what the fuck are you doing? Let him do his thing. <laughs> and so this guy was humiliated as a result, and for 40 years never hired my dad again. And my dad's moral from that story is you got to be willing to blow the job when it comes to your integrity. And I think it paid off for him. So, so he was so. so serious an actor, so dedicated an actor that he was willing to lose a job that he desperately needed. And maybe uh, mark himself on a blacklist, you know? Another really good story on that was with uh, uh, that, that was his bottom line credo. Right. So he was doing Gypsy with Ethel Merman. So he's working with Jerome Robbins, Jules Stein, Stephen Sondheim and Ethel Merman. It was a huge star at the time. Right. I mean, just massive star at the time. And he played Herbie. He originated the part of Herbie on Broadway. And he's going to leave her. And he leans over and he kisses her before he leaves. And, uh, you know, in rehearsal. And they say, look, Jack, don't kiss her. We don't like it. Don't kiss her. He goes, OK. So he tries it. Oh, he would always try it. He gave him a suggestion. He tried it. He tried it. He tried it without kissing her. He goes, he goes no, 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 I, I got to kiss her because I love her, but I can't live with her. You know that? He's got to kiss her. I want, I want to see it. He said, Jack, don't kiss her. He goes, no, no, I really, they go back and forth. And he said, and finally they do what that director did, which was, Jack, kiss her. Like, we're pulling rank. And Jack said, go fuck yourself. And he walked off. <laughs> this is Ethel Merman, dude. Walked off. And they tried to recast it all weekend. They called him on Monday. Jack, come back, kiss her. What's the big deal? <laughs> wow. Wow. That's, I never knew that. That's who he was. Yeah, Bob, take 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 that cue. Adam gave us a cue there. That Ethel Merman and Gypsy was a, was a turning point. Yes, that's where Gary Marshall first saw him and uh, realized what a good actor he was because he was so close to the face of Ethel Merman, who spit a lot when she sang and when she spoke. <laughs> and Gary said something to the effect of, "You've really got to be a good actor to take that and then stand there and do that." And and he was very impressed, and of course, used him just a few years later. And the that. funny thing about that, Adam, as you were saying the other day, is before Gary had told my dad that, my dad's sitting there thinking, he must have really liked my odd couple performance. <laughs> and meanwhile, he's like, no, your ability to withstand spit is really what I admire about you. As an I have a question. If, you know, did your dad sing? I mean, was he a sing? I mean, it's funny when you hear him sing. I, I mean, when I used to listen to the album as a kid. Yeah, is not singing. Bob, that's not singing. I don't know what it is, but that is not singing. He I mean, isn't it amazing to originate a role in a legendary musical and not be a singer? It's that, quite that, fascinating. That's, that's the crazy that's irony of it all. This yeah. right? kid from South Philly who has zero shot at anything. Like, his big break is singing. Singing on Broadway with Merman and Jules Stein, <laughs> Stephen Sondheim. So what Stephen Sondheim realized, like, and he didn't audition for Gypsy. They gave it to him based on the Velvet Alley. So they had seen him wow. in the Velvet Alley. About that. And, and he, up until the Velvet Alley, he'd always played gangsters. But when he was, when he did the Velvet Alley, he was a mensch. His, he kind of moved his type from gangster to mensch. So now he's a mensch. So they hired him just on that. He didn't have to audition. Then he started singing. And Stephen Sondheim said, no, he can't sing, but he has perfect pitch. How about so that? I can so I can teach him to talk, sing his way through it, and that's how they did it. We will return to Gilbert Gottfried's amazing colossal podcast after this. 
Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Bob, since we're talking about Jack on stage and the turning point of Gypsy and Gary Marshall sees him in Gypsy and, and, and gives him the part in the series, but not a lot of people, maybe a, maybe a few people, but I don't think everybody who's a fan of Jack on The Odd Couple know that he played the part on stage. Oh, yes. Yeah. Um, he was not the original. Um, of course. It was Walter Matthau and Art Carney. When Walter Matthau had to leave to go to do the fortune cookie the movie with Jack Lemon, Jack stepped in and uh, it was a big pay cut there. <laughs> I think uh, Walter Matthau was making like 5,800 a week and Jack's was almost like $4,000 less a week Yeah, and yeah. Uh, got great reviews and uh, did it also in the UK a few years later before the TV series very successfully. Yeah, with uh, with Victor Spinetti from A Hard Day's yes. Night. <laughs> so, yeah, so he went from Broadway and then took it over to England. Yes. Yeah. Uh, I think uh, probably because Walter wanted too much money, right? Uh, I'm sure that's the reason. And well, then Walter had thought, the heart attack while making the fortune cookie. That's right. Yeah. Oh, that's so, right. So Jack that's wound up cool. staying later and doing it. With, uh, Carney was gone. And he couldn't come point. back. So, right, he couldn't that's come right. back. And Jack was doing it on, on stage with Eddie Bracken. That's right. That's right. right. And, and, and Victor yeah. Spinetti, I'm too I'm too young to remember that, but I remember I was in second grade in England. I went to some American school for, you know, American kids. You know, it was <laughs> it was nuts. Uh, you know, and and uh, but when I would and I I always behaved badly in school when I was young, but but when I would behave well, every once in a while I'd win a merit badge. You know, like they give them out each week, and when I did, my reward was I got to go see the show. So I saw it like so many times and I really got to love this play. I mean, I could probably recite it by heart, but there was this one funny thing where I go one night, I'm wearing this red sweat, uh, you know, like red sweater type thing. And I'm sitting in the front row and I go to my dad after the first act and I say, Hey, how you doing? He goes, you can't sit in the front row. You're distracting me. I'm looking at right. So I'm seven, you know how seven year olds think. So I get up into the balcony. There's nobody in the balcony. And every time he walks to that side of the stage, I duck down. So he can't see me. <laughs> Dave, you've never told me that stupid. story, man. Yeah, you never, never told me that story. Yeah, that's, that's real, real that's story. Great. Dave, and, and I, you told me on the phone that, and I didn't know this either. I mean, I learned so much about the show and so much about Jack doing research for this episode. And I should have known this, and maybe Bob knew it, maybe Dave Juskow knew it, that, that Tony and Jack would take, would take to the road in the off-seasons from the yes. series, and they would take the play out. Yes. And in fact, you went on tour with them. I did when I was 15. My dad threw me as a lark job because my parents had just divorced and I didn't have a job for the summer and I always had to work in the summer. My dad said, Alan, take him with me. I'll have him do the props. And I was really good at it. I kind of turned, it was a turning point for me. And I, I just for some reason took it seriously without thinking about it. And I had a ball. We went to Norfolk and there were pretty girls all around. You know, oh, that whole thing that happens when, you know, you're around celebrity but the, the cool thing was it was the original cast from the tv show so i'd hang out with them and and watch their their process and the, the original cast from the tv show went on the road with them they wanted to yeah. stay sharp to yeah. do the play to stay sharp 
to stay wow, sharp. That's great. Because, well, because what and they employed. felt, and employed, <laughs> for them more. So, but I think it's the whole notion of you know these guys were trying to bring stage to sitcom. That's somehow what made the Odd Couple. But David, different, if, um, memorable. If the the show wasn't you know successful at first. Were the crowds into seeing them because of the TV show or were they just going to the theater? I just don't think there was much to do in those towns. Right. (laughs) (laughs) We're talking Birmingham, Alabama, Norfolk, Virginia. Yeah. Uh, Can can I ask a a question? I I don't think they're coming to see the Jew, in other words. (laughs) (laughs) We understand. (laughs) Now, one question I have. I've seen about 50 explanations on the Odd Couple episodes. How did Oscar and Felix meet? Bob? Because <laughs> it was like every other episode had a different explanation. Well, Bob, Bob right. makes a joke about that in his book, that the show was never big on continuity. Gary Marshall was not. He, he never expected people to have DVDs and watch them and, and binge on them. So... There's a whole section in the back of my book about all the inconsistencies, and that's yes, just great. one. They met in the army. They met as kids. In fact, that's one of the ones where uh, jury duty that Adam is in Adam, our yeah. father's episode. Uh, yeah, the blinking. Yeah. There's a million different explanations about how they uh, got married, uh, who got married first, who had a kid <laughs> first, and if, if uh, I tracked them all and put the, the, that section is fascinating in the back because nothing is consistent. Ad, Ad, they were like you and me. They were like you and me in the seventies. They didn't think anybody was looking. <laughs> did they change there's there's a in the opening narration he he appeared at the home of his childhood friend oscar madison right and was childhood later removed yes it was there were a lot of changes oh. They, oh. the announcer was a guy in his 90s when i talked to him william woodson <laughs> william woodson william woodson and uh, that was wow. the biggest thing of his career and after that they would actually hire him looking for a guy who sounded like the opening of the odd couple and he got so much work from that one little bit at the beginning of the Odd Couple, which, by the way, Tony and Jack hated. Why? <laughs> it was only really? there to define that they were two straight men living together. That's why it was put there in the first place. ABC yeah. uh, was very, very afraid. It was 1970, and it was still before All in the Family, just a few months before All in the Family, but it That's was right. still not okay to be gay on television. So no. they had to define and really clarify that these two men were living together, divorced, and still dating women. The so network even changed. But it changed they, a few times uh, over the, the next two seasons, and they got rid of it totally by season four. And November 13th, by the way, for, for trivia heads, is Gary Marshall's birthday. That's how that, yeah, that's that's how that date was, that's how that yeah. date was now, arrived at. Now, the song, have you ever, we played it on the podcast, the odd couple theme with the lyrics. Yeah. Great. Oh yeah. It yeah. That 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 sounded very gay. That was walk down the street, people think we're a couple. <laughs> well that's also the why they changed from the movie to the TV series the name of Felix's ex-wife. It was Francis in the movie, but Francis can be construed as a man's name, Francis Albert Sinatra, etc. So they made it Gloria for the TV series. Another change. Amazing. And um, Felix in the movie uh, was a news writer. Right. That's right. And not a photographer. Right. Oh, there's so many weird changes. They changed oh, yeah. the spell. They changed the spelling of Unger from yes, the, from from the movie to, to the e. series. 
They changed it really? from an A to an E. Yeah. No, Which, why do you suppose they do that? Like, for what reason uh, is that necessary? <laughs> that's very strange. <laughs> and Felix Oder was like actually a character in Come Blow Your Horn before right. The Odd Couple. He was an off-stage Simon character. Had, had used that name before. It's just, it seems like it's one of those producer notes, you know, just those mindless ones that they want to feel like they're doing something. But since Gary Marshall was in charge, that's Bob, you, also, you also read things like the Dean Martin you know, was, was considered for Felix. and Which Mickey, really doesn't Mickey, make sense because he had a successful variety show at that time. Right, that he would never leave true. that for the odd couple. Although the Mickey Rooney, yes. we know we know that, that Tony Randall had done the show in Summerstock with Mickey Rooney. And loved and working fought, with him. And loved working with him and uh, and I guess assumed, and I'm using an odd couple word there, <laughs> that he, that he was going to work with, uh, with Mickey Rooney. Now, I, I didn't find this in either of your books, which I found interesting, but I had information that Gary Marshall wanted no part of Mickey Rooney. Well, he had a kind of a difficult reputation. Uh-huh. Mm. He, uh, he had had several series before that were pretty disastrous. He, he had, there's a guy who was very successful in the movies and just couldn't translate to television, but he was also, behind the scenes, considered difficult. And I think that's why Gary Marshall, he had a reputation. Right. And, and I and, think Norman Lear wanted Mickey Rooney to be Archie Bunker. There was talk of really? that. Really? Yeah. Yeah. There was talk of that. And and dad and, and I also discovered this, which I didn't know. I filed this under cool shit I learned while doing research. <laughs> I didn't know that Jack was reluctant to take on another series because he'd failed in a series and I think do I have this right, Bob? Sixty four? Yes. Yeah. It was Nine, part of a 90, show called uh, uh, 90 Bristol Court. It was three Bristol. shows back-to-back on Monday nights going against CBS's big juggernaut. CBS always owned Monday nights and the ratings. And NBC put these three shows back-to-back. Yeah. Uh, it was Karen, Harris Against the World, which was Jack Klugman's show, and another one called uh, Tom, Dick, and Mary. And none of them succeeded, but uh, that was... He had a bad experience with sitcoms, and I don't think really he was reluctant to do another one. Yeah. So, so who Universal, him into it? Universal had screwed him out of his contract. They'd screwed him out of a ton of money. Oh, really? So he, he, yeah. So he goes, he gets the series, goes to David's. What? I'm 64, so I'm one years old. Yeah, we moved to California diapers. for this. Yeah, David. Yeah, we moved to California. David's five. He rents a house in Beverly Hills. He's got a series. He's got bills to pay. And and the show gets canceled mid-season, and they and they're contractually obligated to pay him, uh, you know, the, the the remainder of his contract. And they said sue us, and he's left there holding, you know, a bag of like, wow, I, I got a, I got a, like a lot of bills here, and he was dead broke. They completely screwed him, but he got we we got them later. So uh, so who who convinced him to do the Odd Couple if he was reluctant? That's a good question. I'll it tell you how it started. Must have been Gary, from my memory. Actually, it was Penny Marshall, who was nobody at the time. That's right. (laughs) Penny Penny Marshall and my dad were sitting by the pool. And Penny sort of brings up in a voice that my brother could imitate much better than I could. You know, (laughs) you know, Jack, you know, my brother's doing this show and he's really thinking about you. And you should really. And and my dad was like, nah, I don't really. And all his reluctance came out. But I think she kind of paved the way a little bit. So that by the time my dad got to Gary, he was ready to get on board with it. Penny and Jack had just done an episode of Then Came Bronson, and so they oh, kind that's of got right. friendly. That's right. Yeah. One year before, 69. Gary had you know asked yourself, Penny, boy. Gary had asked Penny to ask him to do it, and his first response was, no, nah, I don't do TV. I'm a, I'm a stage actor. What, I don't do that crap. And then he went and looked at his 
bank balance and was like, well, how much are they paying? <laughs> Not, well, right? I mean, the stage actor in here, he's got, he's going to go, he's got two kids. He's yeah, got two I mean, kids. Yeah. It's time to start thinking about that. Right? I, I heard, and I hope this is true, that the network at first had, uh, didn't want Klugman because he had just done something in a drama that he was very good at. And well, they, they didn't see him as a comedic actor. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. They thought he was a better dramatic yeah. actor. I didn't mm. know that. Do you know what it was that he'd done? I forget what it was, but here he was like. Well, Days and Wine and Roses, he made an impression. Yes. Right. You know, or they might have been talking about one of those Twilight Zone episodes. Oh, and were... uh, 12 Angry Men. 12, 12 Angry, Angry Men. Right. Yeah. yeah. Right. None of them. Well, comedic, I mean, he was known though. to be a, a serious actor with a very intense, serious. I remember. Face, you know? I remember as a kid, he was in that church insight show. Oh you know, yes. That, I remember seeing it when I was a kid, and I was like, Wait, and I was like, oh my god, you know, Oscar is in uh, the serious Sunday morning show, and it, and it was terrific. I, I I don't remember like what I thought he was in jail or something, but I'm not sure what it was, and it was so serious. And he was so good, and I'd never known him as a serious actor or anything. So I was like, "Boy, he's really." I remember as just a kid being like, "Boy, he really, he's really talented." You know, like yeah. you didn't. Know. <laughs> 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 he was great at either one. That's who yeah, knows. yeah, really, really versatile. And you know, you, you read about people who were considered for the roles. Dino, I mentioned, which doesn't make a lot of sense. I also read Martin Balsam and Jack Carter. Oh, Jack Carter. Jack actually got to series. do an episode in he season He was in five. an episode, right, right. Yeah. Was he Jackie Bernie? Yes. Or Joe, Joey Bernie? Joey Bernie, the <laughs> joke writer. <laughs> yeah. Is the limo story true that that, that, that everybody tells, uh, the, the the smoky limousine story? Yeah, I don't know that story well. Gary, Gary told it to me. He did. Yeah. 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 The, the story is, so it's kind of like art imitating life, or life imitating art, rather. So it's the first day of rehearsal. I mean, the first day of uh, a principal photography, they're in New York shooting all the exteriors, right? Everybody knows they shot it in L.A. Everybody thinks they shot it in New York. They shot it in L.A. and they shot the exteriors in New York, obviously. And so it's the first day and Gary's setting up the shot and up comes the limo that has Jack and Tony in it. And out of one side, Tony bursts out and he says, I'm not going to work with this man. This man is impossible. He's in tight. He's in there. He's smoking. I've asked him not to smoke and he just keeps smoking. I'm not going to do this. I quit. <laughs> And out of the other side, you know, smoke pouring out. Jack opens the limo door, smoke pouring out. He goes, I can't work with this pain in the ass. I'm in there. I'm smoking. He asked me not to smoke. That's what I do. I smoke. That's it. I quit. And so suddenly Gary, like, both his stars just quit. And Gary goes, wait, wait a minute. What about we'll have two limousines, one limousine for Tony, that's a no smoking limousine. And we'll have a limousine for Jack. And that's a smoking limousine and he can smoke it. And how about we do that? I like it that, uh, if you, like, in that, uh, there was a Gary Shandler, like an old Larry Sanders show where I thought Gary was going to say, like, you guys realize you're doing the show right now. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> like, that's it. Right. And, and it's, it's it true. How... How long did it take for those two to become friends? I think they became better friends in later years after the show. Yeah, they, they, were, they were always colleagues. They really weren't friends until much later. So there was this kind of confluence of needs that happened. Um, my dad had gotten throat cancer. He had lost his voice and uh, was looking at his career being over. I mean, you know, this was a guy whose best friend was acting. His livelihood was acting. 
And he suddenly, not only was he no longer an actor, I mean, he couldn't act, he had no voice. And, um, and, and not only that, but he also had no way to make a living, right? So he was like, I don't know what the hell's going on. And he's, how old was he, Dave? Like, when that this happened. was in, a, in his early 60s. Early 60s. Yeah, 65. And then, after and then at that same moment, Tony was putting together the National Actors Theater. And uh, so Tony calls Jack. Visual aid. Hats from the National Theater. There it is. This? Another the guy, the guy Dave's got his visual aid. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, David. <laughs> Just trying to stay on top of this. I love it, Dave. <laughs> Dave. If you could draw pictures for me. It'd be a little easier. Okay. Um, so Tony calls the old man and says, Jack, I'm opening a National Actors Theater. I want to do a one-night-only kickoff event. You and me doing the odd couple. It'll just be the two of us. We'll charge $20,000 a plate. We'll raise a million dollars in one night. And Jack, look, the bad talk. I mean, it sounded like this. This is what he could say. He said, Tony, you don't understand. It's over. My career is over. I can't do it. And of course, he wants to do it more than anything in the world. Of course, this is like, of course, he would love to do this. And I can't, it's all that forget it, don't call me anymore. Tony says, well, look, I've got a lot to do, Jack. So I'm not, I won't be ready for a year. So I'll give you a year, uh, get your voice together. And uh, uh, and then we'll do it in a year from now. So get busy. So whatever, my dad hangs up the phone thinking, you know, forget it, right? I'm not going to do it, but he can't, right? This <laughs> is just the animal that he is. He's an actor, he wants to do it. So he calls Tony back and he goes, give me three months before I commit, right? But in that point, and he finds a, a an acting coach who gets him to make a sound like this. Three months of working, he can maybe talk like this is what he sounds like. And he calls Tony and he says, "Okay, I'll do it." Now, that takes balls. Yes, he doesn't have the voice. But my dad, you understand, once he commits, he won't uncommit. Right. The one thing he would never do is Welch. So if he tells you he's going to do something, he will do it. He will show up and do it. So he. That's why he said, "Give me three months to figure it out." And, you know, nine months later, he did it. And that's a whole nother story that's that's amazing. But but that's how that, that went down. And then from that moment. The reunion the, there, episode. The reunion movie. Uh, yeah. that Which addressed the cancer. Oh, that's right. That, yeah, yeah, but that wasn't. The storyline. That one just didn't work. That was not when the friendship cemented. So the, the moment that. So my dad's later on stage. And, and the way Tony was so supportive and so loving and took such good care of my father during that whole period. And they needed each other. And they, that was when they fell in love with each other. And that's when they became really good friends. They were always kind of collegial, of course, or collegial. I never know how to pronounce that. Dave, what is it, collegial? I would say, I would say what you're saying is a good point to this idea of friendship. I think when they started, Tony was the more known actor. Sure. And he was a little full of himself. I mean, let's be honest about Tony Randall, right? So, <laughs> so, right? So he was a little, he got 20%, Jack got 10%. You know, there was a reason for that, right? So so I think he went in a little bit like, okay, you know, I'll, I'll be able to tell this guy what to do. He was in for a lesson, but he learned it really quick. But But the point is, is that they very soon, after a few gristles, like the limousine gristle, became very respectful of each other and they became respected colleagues. But I think my brother's saying is true. They went, they didn't really go into friendship because, you know, Tony was drinking wine with his, listening to opera with his wife at night. My dad was in the horse room in Vegas looking at, you, you know, the racing form. So they're hardly going to hang out. So they weren't pals, they weren't friends, but they went from being respected colleagues to almost being lovers. But in, in the sense that Adam's saying, they kind of fell in love with each other out of a mutual need. That grew into this beautiful relationship. It's funny too, like that. Uh, you know, the reason why the show works so well is obviously 
there was a lot of the two of them mm-hmm. in these characters. They, I mean, they're great actors, we we know. But, I mean, look, I mean, your dad is a gambler, and, you know, and Tony likes opera. I mean, it's really kind of... They were exaggerated. They found the though. perfect I mean, guys. Tony likes sports and Tony liked beer, but, uh, you know, they really had to exaggerate. Well, the, the point is they were Tony. both such... They were both such good actors, they could have pulled off either role. Yeah. But they made the right choice in putting them in the house. Of course. I heard Tony uh, Randall in an interview. He said, do you want to know the type of man Jack Klugman is? And he said he had asked him to do a play, either The Odd Couple or Sunshine Boys. And they did it. And when they were going to pay him, uh, Klugman said, no, give it to your theater group. Oh. Yeah, that sounds that's right. So, yeah, that's and from the book too, right? The Tony and Me book. Yeah, some of the proceeds went yeah. to that. All all the proceeds to the to the actors theater. And he um and they were theater actors. I mean, that's why that show worked so well. They 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 both were theater actors, and they they spoke a, a common language without ever having to acknowledge it. They just of course they understood each other. And, yeah, and, and, that's and there's a way in the like in the second season when they opened up, you know the. Uh, the set, you know, where it was three cameras instead of just filming the, it, like, the movie, yeah, and the live audience. Yep. That's for actors. It made it more of a play, which is why it was easy for me to do these plays because the dialogue works like a play. There was lots of great, just you know, five minute pieces of great dialogue. Well, you've which, heard uh, Tony Randall's, and I think Jack has said that over the years that the, the laughs are in the play. If you go see a student production, you'll hear the same laughs. Yeah, doesn't matter who's doing play. it. Right? Doesn't matter that, who's doing it because that 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 that, uh, that play is 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 ironclad. But on the it's series, cool. they actually got to see what was funny. In the first season, they really didn't know. It was right. No audience was that stupid laugh track, and, and it just and came to life in the second season. When when they tried it without a laugh track, I, that was that episode where Oscar gets a job working for Playboy magazine. Yeah, season one, they did the Playboy magazine, the harem magazine. They did that one without a laugh track. Hmm. Possibly as a concession. John Ashton as Hugh Hefner. Yeah, yeah. Buff Buffington. It's funny, I remember that episode so well, and I never thought there, I I couldn't I didn't know there was no laugh track. I, I researched didn't it, and I it. have to think that because because Tony and Jack were lobbying not only the network, but they were going on talk shows and asking people to write letters mm-hmm. to get rid of this this accursed laugh track. And they got yeah, like yeah, three hundred thousand yeah. letters. So yeah. they really ABC was convinced. Wow! <laughs> so that one yeah. episode in season one that Gilbert mentions, the harem episode, I think it's called Oscar's New Life. Isn't that interesting? Isn't that exactly what Gary Marshall did for Happy Days yes. as well? Season first three, season. yes, interesting. Same thing, right? Again, it just yeah. came to life. Yeah, yeah, and I, it came to life big. Just you know, yeah, yeah, amazing, right? I did want to ask too about something. We jump around here a lot, as you guys see. We don't have any kind of consistent thread, but because we've been talking about Jack's gambling, and because we do have a gambler within our midst, which is Dave Juskow. Yeah, <laughs> Dave. Got it from your dad. It it, it, it kind of endears you to, to 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 Jack, but but to Oscar, but to the character Oscar, in in a way because you're a gambler. And then I want to ask Adam and Dave, what just what kind of gambler was he? Well, I mean, I became a gambler because of Oscar Madison. I just thought it was the coolest thing when you could call up and say, "Hello, Mama Bear. This is Papa Bear." I mean, I I wanted a bookie so badly. And then, unfortunately, I I found one and, and things got bad and I had to start working for They didn't threaten to break my legs. They made me work for them instead, which was different. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> I see. but I'm gambling right now. 
on the uh, Dolphins uh, Jacksonville game. As we speak, please. Yes. He's gambling on, th- on Thursday night football. But yes. Oscar, <laughs> Oscar Madison was an inspiration. Oh my God! Absolutely, he was just the cool. I, I still I take my nieces down to the track because that's what Oscar would do. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's like uh, for some reason it, it's it's horrible that it was so glamorous. He was always in debt and he was always broken. Yet that's what I wanted to be, Oscar. Matt, I never wanted to be Felix. I wanted to be Oscar. <laughs> I remember there was one episode where he gets a hold of money, Oscar, and he has to make a bet, and he runs out of the house in his underwear. <laughs> and then he comes back and goes, oh, I just realized I left the money here and runs out in his underwear. <laughs> I don't remember that. Doesn't he Are bet- you sure that wasn't a story from his real life? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. I'm reminded of the great of, of where Felix, uh, the episode where Felix gives him the money to put a down payment on his cemetery plot. Yeah. Doesn't yes. he get- yeah, yeah. It's going to be $5 for socks. Yeah. He gambled that one away. But but Adam and, and, and Dave, you told me he wasn't a crazy, reckless gambler like Mathau. He was no. no, but he was a terrible gambler. He he lost all the time. Yeah, like Sundays me. during my childhood were very scary. He just never knew. And he would call his bookie and it would be like superstar here. That was his code name. Superstar. Uh, and, and, <laughs> It wasn't Goldilocks. <laughs> no, it was not. That's how the morning started, and it ended with fucking half points. I'm never giving another fucking half point as long as I live. Because right? <laughs> he's always getting beat on the half points. Uh, Everybody and, does and, it, so. and, and when he would talk about the horses, I, he stole the line from somebody else, but he would say that he follows horses that follow horses. Yeah. He was, and and he would get, and he, you, I, so he, when I was a kid, my parents split, and he would come Sundays and pick me up, and that would be our day. And I'd open the door and he'd go, you want to go to the track? Go, I'm not, <laughs> no, I love I'm the track. 12. Like the track when you're 12, it's two minutes of action and 45 minutes of sitting around. Uh, well, I hated the, it. The you track know, I where, would, I, where I go in Monmouth and New Jersey, they actually have a swing set for kids because I think they figured it <laughs> right. out that no. a lot of us were bringing nieces yeah. and kids and Stuff. I have a, a the Dave Jessica Invitational I do every year because I love the track so much and have like a, a big event where I get to take a picture with the jockey and everything. It's, and they, I have, and I have to it. say, the horses are at the gate for the Dave Jessica Invitational. That's not far from where <laughs> I live. Some of the most oh, profound moments of ennui I've ever had was walking around an empty paddock waiting for the next race to start while my dad was, you know, making his bets and looking at the form. Like you, as a child, there's just nothing to do but wait and be lonely. So it's not a fun experience. <laughs> no. And then people would, people would come by and uh, give him tips. And that was, and so Sundays ended with fucking half points. And any day at the track would end with tips, tips, fucking tips. I'm never going to take another fucking tip as long as I live. But yeah, he, that is not true. <laughs> I have to uh, pretend now, like when I'm with people, that it's not bothering me because I know I used to be like that. I lost a lot of girlfriends that way. And relationships, uh, <laughs> because I was just like your dad. Those half points are the worst. They know those guys are so smart. It's all the the, the Robert De Niro from Casino guys that figure yeah. out those lines. The half and, points. Uh, None of them are happy, and, happy like, and bursting with love. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. I got a couple of questions from, from listeners. Because uh, I want to talk about your mom for a minute, Adam and Dave. I want to talk about Brett Summers. She uh, was like the queen of game shows. She sure was. Every game show she was on. Yeah. She was on a lot of games. She shows. was funny as shit. 
She was funny as shit. B.W. Radley says, uh, I, I want to ask Dave and Adam, how close was Oscar and Blanche's on-screen relationship to Jack and Brett's relationship? Hmm. Were there any similarities? Well, yeah. It was pretty combative. I mean, our childhood people say, what was it like growing up with those two people? I was like, like a fucking these fucking Japanese monster movie. Do you know what I mean? Like these are like wings flapping and smoking, cities falling. These are the big fucking personalities, man. Buildings coming down. Jesus Christ, can you imagine those two big two egos, huh? Yeah, just and they big just think of the parties. Forceful personalities. Forceful I mean, personalities. So when they would come together, it'd be like, like, oh shit, I'm getting out of here. But once they split, like Dave and I had a policy. The four of us are never in a room again. We did it one time, right? Right, Dave? We did it like one time. It was Dave. You mean the let's pretend we're a family thing? Yeah, yeah. We did it one time. And Dave came to me after. He goes, we're never going to do that again. He went to them and said, we're not all four of us ever going to be in the same room again. If If you're born and your parents divorce in Hollywood and they're celebrities... You're obliged to at least one of those, but that's it. That's what yeah. I said to you. And <laughs> you did one. <laughs> yeah, and that that we never did again. So them coming together was, they were really good friends, but so that it would be great for a, a little while. And, and she was funny. And my dad loved to laugh. You know, he just loved to laugh. And she was very funny and he really enjoyed her. Um, she was pissed, man. She was pissed and she just never gave it up. You know, she just, the marriage failed. She kind of just, she just never let go of it. And so it was bad when they came. Sorry to hear that. There was the the New Year's Eve episode with Joan Van Ark. Yeah. Uh, I interviewed her for for my book and she said already at that point, even though they were on screen together, she could tell that there was something wrong. Yeah. And that was like 1971, 72. Yeah, you could feel it. You know, Hollywood is, it's impossible to carry on healthy relationships. It's really hard when you, one person becomes successful, the other person isn't. And then everybody's roles change. And then he, he's out there and he's getting all this attention and that changes him and changes her. I mean, it it gets really complicated, man. I mean, I don't want to get heavy, but that's hard. That's why Hollywood marriages don't make it. Was J- was, but dad was instrumental in getting mom onto Match Game in the first place. Yeah, you just told me that, Frank. That was fascinating. Yeah, is that yeah. True? yeah so, Dave, Dave and Adam told me. Yeah. If you if you go back in time on YouTube, so his he had actually a brilliant strategy. So he he knew she would be great on that show. He just knew it, right? I mean, because her like her business card should have said cocktail party guest. That's what she was. <laughs> <laughs> uh, she was just the best cocktail party guest ever. So. So he knew she would be great. And that was just a cocktail party. I mean, they were just getting hammered backstage and coming out and having fun. So he wanted to get her on. So he would say the most horrible things about her on the show. She wasn't a celebrity. He was. And they used to do a show called He Said, She Said. I don't know if anybody remembers that show. I remember. Joe Garagiola. Joe 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 Garagiola. And uh, they were very popular on that because they were funny and they they knew how to play off each other. So he was on this show and he took it because he knew he was going to get her on. So he would say just horror. I remember I was on YouTube. I'm like, Jesus, dad. Um, I mean, horrible stuff like uh, like my wife naked, like stuff like that. Like more like, like this, like. And then Jim said, hey, the back of my horse looks just like my blank. And my wife like, naked, wife. Brett naked. <laughs> yeah, Brett naked. <laughs> he's not exaggerating. Like that was not it. exaggerating. He was he's not exaggerating. That's it. And wow. and so they he Jack knew that they would have to have her on eventually to defend herself. And she did, and she came on, and because she was so funny, 
They loved her. And how, then he, did, how did it work with the, uh, like when she was on multiple seasons, when it was clear that she was like a regular, did she get paid like a series regular? On what? Or was she on a uh, match game? Yeah, that oh, was a nice game. match game, they, they did, uh, they, that was the best job in the world, man. They worked two days, they worked four days a week. They would shoot five shows on Friday, five shows on Saturday, take two weeks off and do the same thing two weeks later. And she was making a hundred grand a year in 1973 doing it. Oh, sweet magic. That's what yeah, you want to hear. Sweet magic is what it was. <laughs> that was a damn good job. I, I, call, I, want that I, call, job. I call it my father's divorce parting gift. Yeah. <laughs> Giving her the show. <laughs> kind of was. Jumping back to something else we were talking about earlier. I always felt awkward that they do those episodes of the odd couple where Oscar has some guy he plays softball with and they drink beer together, and Felix would go, why, he's the head of the so-and-so ballet. And, <laughs> right, right. and go, oh, come on. I think our pal Ron Friedman wrote one of those. <laughs> With and, uh, and Richard they Fredericks. To, they try to show these ballet dancers and Oscar uh, opera singers as, you know, Beer cuzzling, <laughs> you know, skirt chasing regular guys. You know? well, they each got so to attractive. pick. They each got to, to pick some of the co-stars. Jack always wanted the the sports figures like Deacon Jones and Howard Cosell, and Tony conversely got Mar um, Marion Marilyn Horn and uh, Richard Fredericks, Edward Valella, Tina Arroyo, and those kind of people. So both of them were happy, and they the, the writers would have to adapt and. And in fact, one of the Howard Cosell episodes, uh, they had a, it was already planned out and they had to rewrite it because Tony wanted Martina Arroyo to be in that episode. So they had, suddenly had to make Howard Cosell a fan of opera, which he wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> wow. I, I was totally fooled. I thought he loved opera. I always thought. <laughs> Miss Arroyo, the culmination of a life stream. <laughs> Very good. And that's when she says, I found Oscar shorts in the oven. <laughs> Bob, uh, talk about the ratings. Talk about how the show wound up getting pretty much canceled at the end of every season. There was an executive at ABC, I believe it was Martin Starger, who, who, uh, who was a fan of the show. But they never finished in the top 30. No. The best they did was season three at number 36. That was the best they ever did. And they were actually canceled every year. Uh, and they would do better during the summer because ABC moved the show around a lot. And finally, during the summer, they would show the reruns at one set time and people could kind of plan around it. Plus, they probably had seen other shows and they were being rerun. They hadn't seen The Odd Couple, so they were watching that. The ratings always had a surge during the summer. Yeah, I mean, I think they... And so even after being canceled, ABC would say something like, okay, we'll give you another season. And it was a very inexpensive show to produce. Uh, Klugman wore a lot of his own clothes. <laughs> Eleanor Donahue had very expensive clothing from a long career, and she would actually wear her own Halston dresses and stuff. So... The, the budget was not big, and they weren't looking to make friends-type money. They just wanted to work. Yeah. And that was another reason, another factor why ABC would renew it every year up to season five. And there was almost a season six. In that final episode, Felix Remarries, they actually did two endings. One, just in case they got renewed for a sixth season. I've yet to ever see, I don't even know if they, they kept it, 
but I have never seen the alternate ending. Do you know what it is, though? Episode. That's exciting. Do you know what it is, the alternate ending? Well, they don't get married. Oh, yeah. oh I see. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because they do in the final episode. Oh, yeah. and, and Oscar says, I'm free, I'm free, I'm free. Yeah. And he dances around the house knowing that he has his life back. And then he, he uh, and then the last, last line is the garbage can. I knew he wasn't going to yes, clean it yes. up. Yes, yes. <laughs> I knew he'd pick it up. I heard Jack is the one who told Tony that he thinks people are going to find the show later on. Yeah. yeah he was confident that. Tony, because Tony was ready to quit. Like he, How would he even know that, you know, back then? It's amazing. Because he, he would say, you can't have this many talented people working on a show. and not. Uh, it's just not possible. You know, you had Jerry Belson, you had Gary Marshall. I mean, uh, Harvey the, Miller. And, and I remember as a kid, he used to, I used to, I would wait for him. I'd be at Paramount waiting for him to finish, like on a Friday after school. And you would hear them scream. I'd be like doing my homework or fucking around doing something I shouldn't. And, and I'd hear them screaming at each other. They were just like, they would, you know, 12 writers just yelling, screaming at each other. Like, oh, wow, that doesn't sound good. Five minutes later, hysterically laughing, you know, just having a great time. I mean, and I remember thinking that that, that sounds like a really good job. But but the, the, the everybody working on it was so talented. And he used to say, you just can't have this many talented people working on a show. And this is going to be a classic one day. And like you said, what was when unique, they, if too, is that Tony and Jack contributed to the writing. Unlike yeah. most other shows, they actually stayed and contributed oh, their own. Yeah. They were they were welcomed into the writers' room, which doesn't and I wouldn't say they were welcomed. They they no. pushed <laughs> they, they, they pushed their way into the writers' room. Actors the are writers were welcomed very reluctant, the and then they and then they realized, wow, these guys are great. And so sometimes they would show up and say, "All right, here's the scene. Jack uh, uh, Felix teaches Oscar how to play football, and then they would improvise it. So that sure. cl- kind of classic scene, they improvised it, and the writers went off and wrote it. It sounds like when you say when they were yelling and screaming at each other, that's how passionate they were about the show, right. which is why it was so yeah, uh, exactly. good for us. Uh, well, there was one, uh, you know, it's amazing. You say, it was, you know, it didn't do well in the ratings, yet they, uh, your father, I believe, was nominated every year. I think they both were every year. So they were both up together. He won three out of the five, two out of twice, the five two, years. Two. Jack and, he, and Tony won the last year. The final yeah. year. Yeah. Was there any... Uh, Ill will between for Jack winning and no, but there's one blooper reel where my dad keeps fucking up the part, and Tony says to him, "Come on, Emmy winner, do your part." <laughs> so I'm sure he held a little something, you know what I mean? Yeah, right, I'm right. You're right. Well, also, think, think <laughs> about remember this. he started off the bigger star. But what's more earlier. amazing than your dad? What we we're just talking about is acting technique i mean and, and how good he was and sometimes you forget when a show is so iconic like that but then your dad's nominated for another three times for a dramatic part in quincy it, it, i mean right. that's unbelievable especially yeah. to yeah. to have a, a second successful tv series the odds are astronomical yeah he, that he shows he you made how much everybody really loved your your dad very much it's a lovable you know? actor they now, wanted him now, to succeed jump jumping back to the gamble <laughs> I, I once heard Tony Randall tell a story that uh, Jack Jack Lundman <laughs> told him because he owned horses after a while, your dad. And um, he was telling Jack how they collected semen <laughs> from the stalls, I guess, for breeding. And that he job. said, he told Jack that. <laughs> It was like someone did it by hand. 
That's right. That's and, how they and, do it. And Tony said, and and how did the host react? And Jack Klugman went, he liked it. <laughs> Sounds like my dad. <laughs> yeah. That's a uh, tough job. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Here's I a- have a question for you guys. Um, just before I came on this show, I was talking to my friend Joe, and he told me, I was told me I was going to meet you guys, and he told me that he has an autographed picture of your father with a spaghetti sauce recipe on the back. Do you know really? about that? And well, tell him to trust it, because my dad made a mean spaghetti sauce. No, tell him to send me a picture of it. Yeah, he's, I, I wasn't I sure would if you love guys it, knew I, about it, and I said, you're going to have to find that. Get him a picture. Okay. Oh, yeah. I've, I've tried to recreate it a couple times, and every once in a while, I'll hit it. I know the essence of it. It is, you know, he was a Jewish kid, South Philly, Italian neighborhood. So he <laughs> learned it from some old Italian mom, and it's it was the best pasta sauce you well, ever what's, had. What's funnier than having it on the back of your resume, you know, like, <laughs> that's how we got work. <laughs> I got a couple of quick, uh, more quick questions from from listeners here. Gilbert, this one's for you. It's from Rob Martinez, and he just asks, "You know Oscar Homolka?" Yes, that Would- I remember watching that episode with my mother, <laughs> and yeah, because he calls up Oscar, calls up some girl, and he goes, "Yeah, it's Oscar." Uh, Oscar Madison, how many Oscars do you know? And then there's a pausing. He goes, you know Oscar Me and my mom cracking up. <laughs> is, it, is it Crazy Rhoda Zimmerman that he's calling? Crazy Rhoda. <laughs> See, that's that's your Jerry be. Belson. So that's, that's Jerry Belson's Jer- mind. That's I was Jerry just Belson joke. That's yeah. Jerry Belson or Gary Marshall, but it's one of them. That's yeah. a Jerry Belson joke for sure. For <laughs> sure. Here's that another one from the on panel from Eric Z. Gilbert, he calls himself Eric Z M D Medical Deviant. Oh, that's based on one of my favorite movies. There you go. He says, can any of you guys tell me what the capital of Bolivia is? <laughs> La Paz. That's, yeah, that's, that's right. the one where uh, Oscar yes. had to take a job in a diner. That's right. In the greasy oh, spoon. Right. Tony says, you know, how did you wind up? Olaf's. And yeah. he said something like, well, I uh, some guy jumped me in an alleyway, asked me what's the capital of Bolivia is. And I couldn't answer, and he hit me over the head, and here I am. And Tony Reynolds goes, that's the most ridiculous story I've ever heard. Everyone knows the capital of Olivia so far. <laughs> that's a great one. <laughs> <laughs> there were also, uh, there were a few really nice moments in some of those odd couple episodes where... Uh, you saw like a love between the two characters. The odd candidate, especially. That's yeah. one where. Um, oh yeah, Felix runs. Uh, Oscar, Oscar runs for Felix city puts council. Oscar up to be councilman, and uh, he doesn't win. But Oscar is at the end is so appreciative. There's a really nice moment to close out that episode, which you and, didn't see all the time. And there's an episode where uh, they both like try to get healthy, and uh, Oscar says to him. Who cares if uh, if you live 30 years and I only live 20? And uh, uh, Felix says, I'll miss you. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yes. And, and there's, there's something to be said here, not to be, not to get somber, but my dad found his way 
you know, like you said, when he was going to replace Walter Matthau, he was scared shitless. Mm -hmm. So he sat in the audience 16 times and watched that play to see where the hole was, if there was one. And he found it in the second act when, according to that play, there's only one origin story they met in childhood. And then you walk into my life, my oldest and dearest friend. And my dad's watched it 15 times. And on the 16th time, he goes, you're lying. You're treating him like the butt of a joke, which is what R. Carney had a nervous breakdown after that run. Mm -hmm. He was treating him like that, which is what Walter, Ma Walter Matthau mainly does, unless Jack Lemmon's not letting him do it. <laughs> and my dad said, I'm going to play the love, right? It's going to, and it was easy for him because it was like his mother. I love you, but you drive me crazy, right? I can't get rid of you. I don't want to get rid of you, but you make me nuts. And that, what, that action really worked for him and, and was his way into the role. Conversely, and I only heard this recently, Tony, I saw it on YouTube. They were asked how they regarded each other. I think it was Merv Griffin or something. And, and Tony said something really interesting. He said, well, I see Oscar as a very troubled, hurt man who covers everything up with a lot of mess. So that was his line of compassion into him. Wow. He didn't just see him as a messy douchebag. He saw him as a hurting guy who just... That was the only way he could control it. Well, Jack, Jack. There, was a, there was a great episode with William Redfield. And uh, the brothers. Oh, that's when he shuffle yeah. off to Buffalo. Yeah. Yes, where he plays Felix's brother. Floyd. And at one point when they're both, uh, he and his brother are arguing, uh, Oscar says, well, I'll leave you two alone now. And, and William Redfield says to him, he goes, no, Oscar, you stay, your family. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there were a nice. lot of sweet moments. Well, 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 Dave, Jack, you know, your uh, dad was always looking. He was always asking the writers, what do I want? What do I feel? He was trying to right. treat the comedy. He was trying to play the comedy real. And he was trying well, to look for what, what he knew. called the love scene. The love what scene. He would call it. He would say, where is that? Where is it? That was the cliche. Where's the love scene? But but the truth under that, which is related, it's not an esoteric secret. They were from the stage. They knew that if anything was really funny, it had to grow up out of the ground to be real. Yeah. It can be these friends joke, 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 joke. And by the way, there was no friend salary back when they were doing the odd couples. <laughs> so they didn't miss anything. They just, they didn't. No, they, no, they, they would have asked for it if they had it. They <laughs> even though they bought a piece of the show eventually. And, 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 I'm, and I'm, yeah. I'm stuck on this thing. I'm remembering all the nice moments. There was I'll, that one where, uh, where Oscar puts his name on a singles uh, uh, thing. And and they ask his uh, looks. He says, above average. And uh, Tony Randall keeps saying, no, you're not above average. He goes, you're uh, at most uh, plain. And, <laughs> and then at the end, Oscar does something nice. And uh, Felix says to him, you're well above average, Oscar. Huh. Yeah, that's another sweet one. Gilbert, I love how you've remembered all these sentimental moments from the show. <laughs> I'm crying over yeah. here. What, I'm what tearing a big-hearted guy you are. I, I like always when they had the sentimental moments and then they just had the great punchline for the end with the, the horns coming in, you know, like when they uh, thought they were getting old and they met those girls and then, you know, he's, and then they have this, and he's like, look, so we're old. I mean, what's the big deal? Whatever it is. And then he's just like, and that's what you woke me up at two o'clock in the morning. He goes, no, it's time for the party. Yeah. <laughs> I think, I think the genius, cutter. the genius of Gary Marshall and Jerry Belson on that line was that they knew where the fall was into sentimentality from the sentimental and they never let it go there. So it never became cheesy 
or cheap. It was always earned. Yeah, well, always earned. Right? That's it's always earned. good. Yeah, yeah. I, I, and that's I, why it was earned comedy, right? I, I yeah. like when they're tied up together by the burglars, and Felix starts singing, "Wherever we go, we're together," <laughs> <laughs> and, and Oscar's hopping away from him. But, you know, you, you know, it's 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 not quite a homoerotic subtext. I mean, that would be that would be taking it too far. But there is a romance going on between these two guys. It's a it's absolutely a, it's, well, it's, it's romance. Yeah, it's a bromance. It's a but, bro- one of the earliest bromances. Yeah, I mean, there but are it's, others, I, but, it's yeah. real. It's really. I mean, like Jack says about Tony that people don't realize how good he was. He never said a word he didn't believe. He never made a false move. He never made a, a an action that he didn't believe. The way they sold their affection for each other is, 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 I think, one of the reasons we love the show and that it endures. And I think that's right. I mean, my dad gave, definitely gave me an appreciation of how good Tony is. Go back and look how good Tony is. Oh, you know, it, 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 he's not, Felix is a pain in the ass, so he's not a likable character. So people don't, you know, so so everybody identifies with Oscar, right? So, so that's right. But if you look, like, I remember... Uh, I was uh, went one week, you know, I would, it was just, I would always just be moving in and out of it. And Tony looked sick. Uh, there's an episode where he's really sick. I can't remember what the episode is, but he didn't drop it. He was sick all week, right? He would, he would stay sick all week. Always a character. Yeah, he was, but he, he, so he looked sick and he, I mean, Tony was such a good actor and, and it was really my dad that said, look at him, look what he's doing. That's. He, yeah. he, here's a thing about, and it, it, also it's the writing. But if you look at the Ron Glass to Mon Wilson version, if you look at uh, at the at the Tom Lennon Matthew Perry version, even the movie, there isn't the same love. There isn't the same affection. You get uh, you get the sense in a way that that Tony Randall that Felix is mothering him. You know mm. that that that's the, the, they actually achieve that sort of husband and wife dynamic. Well, yeah. Ron Glass would not buy into the Felix character. He didn't want to look foolish. Mm-hmm. He would even he would un- conversely to what Tony Randall did. Uh, he did not want to look like a buffoon every week, and so the, the writing had to change a bit. And so it wasn't as real as the as the first series. Oh, and I I remember there was another episode where uh, Felix's daughter uh, visits. And Edna. then she gets angry and she leaves a note for Felix. And That's the she, Paul Williams episode. Paul Williams. Yes, yes. Yeah. Oh, she's going to travel. And uh, <laughs> Oscar comes home and he finds the note and he hands it to Felix and he goes, uh, I can't stand being treated like a child. I'm leaving. Oh, Oscar, we've been through this. <laughs> By the way, th- that's an episode with a lot of sentiment. Yes. Because be- because because Oscar puts them together. He or he sets he sets up Paul Williams to do it. But uh, but but well, he, o- Oscar is a hero in that episode. He does that too with his son. Remember, we were just talking about this before when he wakes him up in the middle of the night and says, "Just give your father another chance." And he's mm. like, "Uncle Oscar, I don't want to play cards now." And he goes, "No, no, it's not about that. I'm going to pay you back that money I owe you too." <laughs> <laughs> but he's trying to help Phil. Yeah, that was the. You're right. And the other ones don't go. Was the Ron Glass one? Did, were they using the same scripts? One of them they yes. were using some, the, in some yes. ways. Yeah, some ways. They that was had, odd. Uh, yeah, it was. The, they were doing a weird time period there, where they were doing all black recreations of other shows. Like they, there was the Odd Couple, and then I think, oh, there was. I well, they did, did a they black version of Barefoot, Barefoot in the Park. Yes, Barefoot in the Park, yes. too. Yeah. yeah. 
Very odd. With Scoey Mitchell. Adam, tell us about working with Gary Marshall and the Flamingo Kid. Um, And tell us about your relationship with Gary in general. I mean, he was close to you guys. Yeah. You know, my dad was a bit of a loner, actually, you know. Um, And uh, but Gary was his best friend. And we were like family. Gary would always tease me. I, I was in sixth grade and I played Prometheus in the school play and I, I was tied to the rock, right? But I wasn't tied to the rock. So I would I, I would hold my arms around. I go, oh, if I could just get off this rock. And then I'd reach around and scratch my nose. <laughs> right? So Gary would always teach me, I remember you when you were Prometheus. I couldn't, I can't, if I could get off this rock, it would be so nice to get off this rock. And then he would always tease me about it. So we, were, we grew up together. I've known Gary since I was, I was in sixth grade. Gary um, was the kindest, most generous man. He... You know, you were, you guys were talking earlier about Mickey Rooney. He doesn't do drama, yeah. right? He just do, doesn't do drama on the set. So I was in The Flamingo Kid. I was cover set, which means, you know, for people who don't know, when it's raining, we shoot. We were shooting at this country club out in Rockaway in November or try to make it look warm. Um, so when it would, But Gary knew that it wasn't going to rain all that much, so I made a bunch of money. Um, and Gary was just – Gary shoots a lot as far as just from a – Technical standpoint, Gary shoots everything and then cuts it later. But I mean, Gary, look at the people, Tom Hanks and Julia Roberts. No, none of the people who have worked with him say anything, but he was just an absolute pleasure. The kindest man, the generous man. He was always used to say, you have to be nice to the people on the way up because when you're going down, they might kick you. You know, so he... <laughs> and, uh, and that was true because Gary had... He had, say, he had, say, one of his lawyers or somebody had put him in a really bad deal. I remember um, so that. He was... had made Pretty Woman and it was a huge hit. Some, some, one of his lawyers took all that money and put it in some land deal. He had no cash. Um, and he had made that Doctors in Love movie or something. And he yeah, made Doctors a couple of flops. And uh, it, his career was, oh no, this was prior to Pretty Woman. Pretty Woman was the comeback. He had made a couple of bad movies and it looked like his career was kind of going down. And uh, people helped him because he had helped others. We will return to Gilbert Gottfried's amazing colossal podcast. But first, a word from our sponsor. Adam, is there a Sinatra story? Oh, there is. Yeah, there is. (laughs) (laughs) Can can you give us the condensed version of it? I'll try to give you the... It's hard to condense the story. (laughs) I knew so, uh, there was a Sinatra story in there somewhere. <laughs> There's always so, a Sinatra story. <laughs> so, uh, uh, I, growing up, I was a rock and roller, long hair, and then in my 20s, I kind of got it. Like, Sinatra was great. Hated that music when I was a kid. I'm in my 20s. I'm really into Sinatra. Um, so, so that's just a little bit of background on my orientation. So my dad calls me one, one, one week on a Monday, and he goes, you want to want to go to the fights? And he, I used to we I used to go down on Friday. He'd make pasta, and we would watch fights. He would bootleg the fights on his TV. And I go, yeah, I'll come down on Friday. What time? He goes, no, 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 Vegas. I was like, yeah, wait, you want me to go to Vegas with you? He's like, yeah, one condition: no girlfriends. I was like, wait a minute, you're asking me to go to Las Vegas and to leave my girlfriend behind, and you and I are going to kick it at Vegas for the weekend? <laughs> Fuck yes, I'm in. <laughs> 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 what fight is it? And it's the Hagler Leonard fight. You okay. know, like the one, if you know fights, that was the one that just sure. changed Marvin Hagler. I mean, it broke Marvin Hagler. 
right? Yeah. He got a raw deal. So I'm like, yeah, well, definitely. So we're going to, we're at Caesar's Palace and we're walking through the lobby and he hands me the ticket. And I look down at the ticket, it's 84. And he, I see $800 on the ticket. I'm like, Jesus Christ, that 800, I wouldn't pay that. Nah, my dad would never pay $800 for a <laughs> ticket to anything. He goes, nah, nah, I did some commercial, Nate. You know, they gave it to me. I'm like, okay, this could be interesting. So we walk into Caesar's Palace and, you know, we go to the first round and we walk down. We keep walking down. We keep walking down. I'm like, Jesus, we're walking towards the front of the, the, the stadium, right? We end up walk all the way down. We're, we're, we're ringside and we're sitting in Sugar Ray Leonard's corner because he knows Angelo Dundee, who's also a Philly guy. So we're, we're this is the Marvin Hagler Leonard fight. And we're sitting on the corner. And I'm like, okay, now it, people, are, what's it like, you know, having a celebrity as a father? This is definitely the upside for sure. <laughs> I'm like, this is, we're on the fucking corner. I'm like, this is incredible. Like, I've got a beard. I look like a rabbi. So, <laughs> so all of a sudden, so we're sitting there and, you know, usual celebrities, you see him and everything. And uh, so, so my dad and Frank Sinatra know each other because they did the candidate together, right? So many, many years ago. So before this. So um, there's a little bit of commotion and these these guys, these, you know, guys come out and, you know, you know who they are. They're, they're, you know, they're in Vegas. They're Italian looking guys and they're looking, they're checking everything out. And there's a little bit of commotion. And then uh, and then they go away. And uh, then all of a sudden they, they come back out and they're like, Mr. Frank Sinatra coming through. Frank Sinatra. And so so there's all this commotion. Right. So there's they're sent out. To there's his scouts. They're sent out to find out who's sitting where, so Frank can chart his course to his seat, right? And Sinatra. So 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 now there's all this commotion, and my dad turns to me and he says, "I'm not getting up." <laughs> like, what do you mean you're not getting up, Frank Sinatra? He goes, "I'm not getting up." I'm like, "Dad, you got to stand up." It's Frank Sinatra. He goes, "I'm not getting up, and neither are you." <laughs> okay. This is going to be really interesting. <laughs> so, so now there it's a 20 it's a full stadium. There's 20,000 people in Caesar's Palace or whatever it is. Everybody in Caesar's Palace knows that Frank Sinatra just entered the building. Everyone. My dad's looking away, you know, pretending like he doesn't and, and you're like I'm like dad, here he comes. So Sinatra's starting to come and my old man has pledged that he's not going to stand up and you have to understand that for my dad, this is like a code of the corner. They're communicating non-verbally from the minute, you know, Sinatra walks in. The worst thing that could happen to my father would be that he would stand up and Sinatra would walk by. My dad would throw himself out of the hotel window that night. Like that's his worst fear, right? Code of the corner, that doesn't happen. So, so I'm sitting there and Sinatra's coming closer and closer, closer. I'm like, what the fuck is going to happen? <laughs> This is crazy. I can't believe this is happening. And he's not. And Jack's looking away like there's something more important. Meanwhile, the entire 20,000 people know Sinatra's there. <laughs> and he walk, and he's coming close. I'm like, Jesus Christ. And he comes right up next to my man. And, he's, and we're on the corner, right? He stops and he says, what's the matter, Jake? You don't stand up for me? Right? I called him Jake. And my dad turns to him and goes, Frank, I didn't see you. <laughs> and he turns to me and he goes, stand up. <laughs> I never heard that part before. <laughs> so I stand up and I'm like, holy shit, I'm going to go eyeball to eyeball with Frank Sinatra. 
Like, and I'm a huge fan at this point, right? I, I, I'm like, this is definitely a peak experience. So Sinatra looks over at me. He goes, Frank, this is my son, Adam, and I've got a beard. And Sinatra reaches over and he grabs my, doesn't shake my, I put out my hand, doesn't grab my hand, grabs my beard so fucking hard, like bring tears to your eyes. Not like, hey, wasn't a tug. It was like, it's testing my manhood, right? I did not flinching. You know, I know you're pulling my beard out, but I'm not going <laughs> to flinch. He pulls it really hard and holds it for a second. And I'm eyeball to eyeball with Sinatra. I'm looking in Sinatra's blue eyes. <laughs> and he lets it go, smacks me across the face good and hard, turns to my father and goes, nice looking boy, Jack. <laughs> wow. And then my dad goes, turns to me and goes, sit down. I'm like, go ahead. <laughs> Good story. That's a good story. That's what we're telling, right, Frank? Good stuff, Adam. Good stuff. Okay, let's go quick, and we'll go around as we run out of time. Quickly, favorite episode and why? Bob. Favorite episode. Uh, probably Take My Furniture, Please. With Bella Brooke. by Harvey Miller. <laughs> yeah, Harvey Miller. I, get- Har- I was in a Harvey Miller movie. He was. Bad Medicine. Yeah, mm. I worked with Harvey. Harvey, Harvey he was, Skolnick. He, he was a nut. Harvey Skolnick. <laughs> yeah. Har- Harvey Skolnick. I a- even have a hand chair. He does have a hand oh, chair. Oh, yes, yes. I feel like an I M&M. have one. I showed oh, it to I Frank remember the this. Day. How do you feel, Oscar? Like I'm insured by I feel by like an M&M. <laughs> you know what they did with those hand chairs? I remember I was on set with those hand chairs, and it was kind of wow. cool because you'd never seen them before, right? And, and the cast, you know I mean, the crew... When you came, they came back from dinner to shoot. They had been it down, so the, the it was the chairs were given over by their fingers. <laughs> Dave True just story. held up his middle finger since this is an audio podcast. <laughs> yeah, Dave yeah. Juskow, favorite episode and why? Quickly, I just have to go with uh, the standard password one. Password. It is just absolutely the greatest, as everyone says, and mostly for the absolute genius when you're a kid, the writing, when they get back to that Lincoln, ridiculous. When you're a kid, you're like, oh my God, that's the smartest thing I've ever seen in my life, how they bought it around like that. Aristophanes. Yeah. <laughs> Written ridiculous. by the late great Frank Buxton, right, Bob? Yes, yeah. yes. Oh, that's Game show host. That's where he says granite. Graphite. Yeah, graphite. Graphite. Lead, graphite. graphite, pencil. I love pets. <laughs> <laughs> way. I love pets. I think David, what I love in that episode is you can see that Jack's collar is up, right? It's not supposed to be up. And so yeah. when you watch again, Tony reaches over and tries to fix it. He goes, get, get yeah. out of here, right? <laughs> that just works so perfectly. I the tie off. Recently, I just saw extended footage I'd never seen before on yeah. Channel 11. Oh yeah, like a, like oh. a whole other scene that yeah. I never well, had seen well, before. They were, really? they were pretty. Oh, they cut them and they put it back in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Syndication. Yeah, didn't, awesome. didn't Dad like the password episode? I think he did. I think that was his favorite. Episode. I know it's the standard, but yeah. yeah, it's the best. Okay, Gilbert, favorite Odd Couple episode. I mean, it's almost impossible because I mean, so many great ones, but I did like the one where they go back in time and he's Blinky. Well, Adam's in that one. Oh, yes, that, yes. That is, I yeah. think that's, that's what, oh, what I remember about that one is, I. oh, who was the girl in that? Who is the actor? Barbara Rhodes. Uh, friend Barbara Rhodes. Barbara Rhodes, Ernie, that's, Ernie right. Wife. that's yeah. right. So that's she's right. like a sexy uh, girl, and she's sitting on Tony Randall's lap and trying to kiss him, and he goes, Miss, I wouldn't do that if I were you. I have a... a 
what's that word I'm thinking of? And then he goes, oh, wife, wife. <laughs> Gilbert Wilmer, the gun soul, is in that episode. Yes, I, Elijah Cook <laughs> Jr. Elijah Cook Jr. <laughs> turns up in that episode. Uh, that's a good, Blinky Madison, one of my favorites. Okay, uh, Dave, favorite episode. You know, I wish I had one. I'm not the aficionado as you guys are, but I've seen the play so many times in so many iterations with my dad. Uh-huh. I would have to say that it's it's so much nearer and dearer to me than any of the episodes. Interesting. That, that I sort of see the, the all of this this series as as splinters out of this brilliant idea that actually came from Danny Simon, Danny not Simon. Neil Simon, and, and Roy Gerber, and, and his roommate Roy Gerber. Yeah, right. And, and the genius of it is, as my dad said, and it's obvious to see, everyone's going to relate because if you put any two people together, you're going to get some kind of odd couple. Did you? And if you know how to play with that, you're going to make people laugh. It's funny. And we were talking on the phone how Neil Simon did it again with a man and a woman and the goodbye girl. Yeah. Two, yeah, he, two people uh, forced to thing. share an apartment. Same formula. But uh, right. uh, Dave, was there a moment on stage for uh, that dad did that stands out to you? My, my favorite moment in the play is when Tony um, has is just furious that my father has, that Oscar's come home late and it's uh, the rump roast is burnt. And... He's sitting on on one side of the room. My dad feels like a shame child on the other side of the room. And he says, well, why don't you go get another roast? And Tony Randall gets up angrily and walks up and says, where am I going to get a rump roast at 12 o'clock? And, you know, starts yelling at him. And it's just this genuine moment of, like, you don't understand anything of what I've gone through. You know, it's like this, this hurt housewife and this dumb, you know. They uh, use that line again. And I think the I think it's the password. Do you ever know on Monday when I didn't bake? Yes. Right. 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 Exactly. <laughs> I'm so jealous of you, Dave, that you got to go on the road with those guys and watch that stuff from the wings. What a life. What a life experience. It was cool. My when I was youngest, I will say my where I laughed the hardest the first time I saw it was. At that, after my dad and after Oscar and Tony have had a terrible fight and they're not talking to each other, Tony's built a nice, you've seen the play, he's got a nice plate of pasta for him. And my dad just did it so well. He's doing end dust, you know, in the yeah. air, oh, yeah. the opposite of what he would do normally. And so Tony covers his pasta thinking, you know, he's going to come over and get me. So, you know, my dad does the old trick where he puts it down. Tony releases his hands and then he just sprays the pasta. <laughs> And it's such a fun. And he goes, "You did look what you did to." He says, "What well, to my to, to your, by your spaghetti?" And he goes, "Ah, you're such an imbecile. It's not spaghetti. It's linguini." That's when Oscar picks and up the garbage. And now it's garbage. I wouldn't right give to see those two guys and doing that play. I'll tell you, oh, Victor yeah. Spinetti was not someone like to underestimate in that play. He was incredible. I mean, that was only seven, but the impression Victor he made Spinetti. on me was. From, from a hard day's night. Adam, yeah, favorite right. uh, favorite episode or favorite moment of dad's on screen? The monks. The monks. <laughs> yeah, that's good. That, that oh. scene, that scene where they're <laughs> silently baking, right? <laughs> and the X's <laughs> on the chest. And you go, why don't you bake your stomach? Right? That, that, that culminates in that line. <laughs> that bit to me. That is, is great. Classic. I don't honeymooners. I don't care what it, it, it's as good as anything you'll ever see on. And then, now you know what a good father Jack was because Adam did not choose the episode with himself. No, that's because that's, that's yeah, exactly I what I can't. He doesn't have a big ego. <laughs> I exactly. remember the one with the monk. One of the guys gives a whole long speech saying, 
He goes, today I watched a butterfly land on a flower <laughs> and it flapped its wings gently. And, and uh, Oscar goes, and he's the social director. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Dick Stahl. Dick Stahl. Nine episodes. Oh, my God. Genius. Oh, Genius. my God. The episode, the part that makes me crack up is when they both decide to go into therapy. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And and there's that argument between the therapist and the secretary. Richard Stahl and his secretary, where she says, yeah. you are bald. <laughs> Shirley Mitchell. Right. Yeah, and he's great says, Shirley Mitchell. She goes, he says, you know, uh, do something, type that up. And she goes, you type it up. And he goes, I don't need to type it up. And then he goes, I have my own job. And he holds his diploma. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a doctor. <laughs> yes. He's also great as the pet store owner when when, right. when Oscar types the on frog, the frog's right? leg. Yeah. And injures yes. and injures the frog. I want to read some nine of nine episodes. They must have loved him. Richard Stahl, genius. Yeah, yeah. He, oh, they he did. was great. He but was you great. know, an another reason that I love the show is those character actors, Bob. And you you list them all in the book. I mean, Bella Brook, who always oh. who always cracked Jack up. Uh, uh, pushover page. Right. Uh, uh, the great John Fiedler, who was in the movie. Oh yeah. Yes. Yes. Right. In a couple of movies. He yeah, was he in was one of the a sequel movies too. Yeah. And John John Fiedler was a friend of the family. He was a friend of my mother's. Oh, was, is that right? Yeah, he was. Yeah, he was close. He was in Twelve Angry Men too. Remember? Actor. He was. He was in that movie with the uh, high security building. Yeah, he's right. the. Yeah, the the. He's also the uh, the uh, the trainer of Silver the Wonder Dog. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's right. uh, Jack Sue as the wrestler. Jack Sue, right. sumo wrestler. The great Vito Scotti. Uh, Rita Shaw, who played that nanny from Hell, that the uh, the one that uh, that Felix hires to take care of Oscar. Uh, Ed Peck is the tough guy on the yeah. uh, Belkin Airlines. Probably wasn't even in the oh. in the service. You guys are sissies, oh, right? That, was that, that was a oh, that's great a great episode. one. The airline, airline yeah, flying the Felix. flying Felix, right? right. Yes, yeah, that, that there's a tremendous hysterical. woman blocking the aisle. Charles, oh, there's, there's a story about that and, one. Oh, and I remember Tony Randall looking out of the plane and going, right. "Wait, I can read their lips. <laughs> I hear there's something wrong with the fuselage, Frederick." That's it. <laughs> that was Tony's idea to have the parachutes. They originally had it. It was going to be a, a gay uh, charter flight, and ABC put their foot down and said, you can't do that. And so they were trying to come up with an ending for it, and it was Tony Randall who came up with, it was a parachute club, mm. and they would be the only two left. That was oh, his that was contribution great, in the writer's room to that. There's nothing better when he comes back from the bathroom and just sits down. The take. And then, <laughs> you know, the take, and then suddenly it hits him. What's the, what's the timing on that that you actually you know figure it out? All those actors. Fritz Feld shows up, Gilbert. Yes, uh, yes. Uh, the great Louis Gus, who says, maybe they teach geese. <laughs> uh, Charles Lane, the, the ageless Charles Lane shows up in the furniture episode. I've got cash. <laughs> I want that desk. Cliff Norton as Lloyd's from Lloyd's of Lubbock. <laughs> uh, the great Dub Taylor shows up in the in the uh, the quarterback, the Eskimo quarterback episode. Oh, right. So many about. wonderful characters. Oh, got, what about John Biner? Hey, and John yes. Biner. <laughs> Yes, I'm gonna. In fact, I'm, since I didn't go and pick my favorite episode, I'm gonna pick the new car. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's John Biner. And Dave told me on the phone that that Dad couldn't do a, a straight take. He couldn't keep a straight face with with Biner. 
No, he couldn't. No, he couldn't. I, 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 I was, I was in the dressing room with my dad. And I remember him saying, I, "I'm not going to get through it." I go, "What?" I got. Something about John Biner just slayed him every time. When you see him do it, he, you see he goes, "Hey, park with my wife." So if you look at the gag reel, you can see they, he starts to laugh. <laughs> And Tony doesn't know it. And Jack's just like practically tears coming down his face. And then he, <laughs> he turns to him and, and the whole scene is over. So uh, he said he couldn't get through it and he couldn't. And actually, if you go back, as I told you, Frank, earlier, and look at the scene that they actually finally got through, yeah. it's not really that good because my dad just, like I say, looks like an eight-year-old trying to just get just out the door. <laughs> <laughs> you know? And in the outtake at the end, Tony says to him, bad, bad, yeah, bad, yeah, yeah, bad, bad, yeah, 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 bad, bad. Yeah. 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 Eight guests of this very podcast appeared on The Odd Couple. Can you wow. name one? Uh, okay, let's see. There is, <laughs> well, of course, you already said um, uh, uh, Will, John uh, Paul Williams. Right. Uh, oh, uh, was <clears throat> Peter Marshall, was nope. he on? No. Nope. Uh, okay. Oh, damn it. Oh, <laughs> David Steinberg. Very good. Um. Okay. Oh, shit. You, Let me see. <laughs> I'm going to read them off in the interest of yes, time. Yes, yes. David, okay. David, 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 John Biner was here, David Steinberg, Bernie Coppell, oh. Dick, Dick Cavett, John Aston. we mentioned, Joyce wow. Van Patten, and Great. Clint Howard. Oh. Wow. wow. Yes. We Those also had awesome. Barbara Barry, who was in the Odd Couple move, uh, uh, remake or the, uh, the sequel, mm-hmm. the TV movie. And right. uh, our friend Ron Friedman, as we said, who wrote seven episodes. And a lot of other guests on this show have odd couple connections, like Matthew Broderick played Felix, and Paul Dooley played Felix, I I believe, and Jason Alexander mm-hmm. uh, played Oscar or Felix? I think he played Felix. Oscar. Felix. Oh, did he play? I thought he played Felix. I'm yeah, sorry. Or maybe he played Felix. Anyway. I, I would have liked to have seen him in either role. A lot, of, yeah. uh, a lot of odd couple connections. So real quick, let's plug Bob's books. Bob, quickly. Uh, this great odd couple book, which people can get yes. on Amazon, full of stories. You've got an episode guide. You've got a glossary in there. A lot of fun. Uh, a lot of great interviews. It's called The Odd Couple on Stage and Screen from McFarland Publishing, but it's available wherever books are sold online. And people can get your other wonderful books about pop music and sitcom history. And you're a man after my own heart. Yes. And one about wings coming up, which involves our host. Oh, Gilbert, you have oh, to give yeah. Bob an interview. I did three episodes. Yes, funny episode. Yes, a... with... with um, Louis Blanchard. I, yes, and uh, with, with... William uh, Hickey. William Hickey. Very good. And Dave, let's hear about your podcast. Oh, it's called The Night Fly, and it's uh, basically just uh, talking about this kind of stuff. And, uh, you know, <laughs> a lot of $6 million man references. And, okay, uh, I like that. <laughs> uh, but it's a, just a hodgepodge of, of nonsense and stuff we uh, like to remember. Yeah. And uh, on Tuesdays, I uh, do a show on YouTube through the Comedy Cellar, uh, just making football picks <laughs> at 8.30. Okay. And, and, and Dave and Adam, I can't imagine you have anything to plug. But let's just plug the book. Let's plug Tony the book, and Tony and me. Tony and me. Available on Amazon. You can get the Kindle version. You can get the uh, uh, iBooks version. Definitely, if if you love the Odd Couple and you love the Old Man and you love Tony, it's 
you'll read it fast. It's, it's really good. And, and a lot of it is in Jack's voice too. So you really get it. And you learn a little bit more about Jack's history and, uh, you know, like the story I didn't tell about how he at seven years old, uh, knew that he wanted to be an actor and then kept it a secret for 15 years. So, you and, know, and uh, the hardcover and the hardcover comes with a, a, a gag reel for only 20 bucks. That's right. To throw that. I teared up reading the end of the book and we'll make people buy the book to hear the Helen Hayes story. The night you yeah, guys, the night you guys were in the room. It's a beautiful yeah. story. It's a, it's a beautiful story about Jack's courage. And, mm-hmm. uh, we'll, we'll, we'll urge people to buy the book. Um, and, and, you know, if you're not a fan of this show, what the hell is wrong with you? Find these episodes, <laughs> track them down, do the research into these great actors and and into uh, uh, Harvey Miller and Gary Marshall and Jerry Belson and 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 all of the wonderful character actors we named. I want to dedicate this episode to some people to uh, to our friend Ron Friedman uh, and to uh, John and Terry and Laura Musio and Jeff Bernstein and Vinny Favale, the biggest odd couple fans I know. And we also want to thank Orville Kruger, Doctor Clove. Aristophanes, Happy Greshler, Harry Tallman, Mildred Fleener, uh, <laughs> Wild Willie Boggs, Crazy Rhoda Zimmerman, Oscar Matasoy, <laughs> Ma Gunk, was changed. and of course, Silver the Wonder Dog. <laughs> Guys, this was a blast. Thank it's you. It's the first time I've worn pants in a long time since March. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for sharing that, Bob. We're <laughs> Thanks, for yeah, yeah, yeah. Thanks for inviting me, guys. It was maybe, really a pleasure to meet you guys. A real and pleasure. maybe, I really Dave, you it. could draw a picture of him with no pants. <laughs> I was just going to say prove it, you know. <laughs> guys, this, this, uh, this show has meant so much to... to uh, uh, to, to Gilbert and to me, we've talked about it. We've been doing this podcast since 2014. We we always quoting the Odd Couple chapter and verse. When I found out the anniversary was coming, I got so excited. I'm so glad that I reached out to you guys. We also have to thank Jonathan Tesler for hooking me up with David. Yeah, Dave John Tesler. In the first place. That's it. Our pal Jonathan Tesler. This was an absolute treat for us, and I know our fans are going to just eat it with a spoon. This, Gilbert, this, I, yeah, this is one of those me. shows I could. Uh, do an odd couple episode every other week. <laughs> well, what's what's really cool for me, and I think I speak for Dave, but is that uh, people are that love him and that he's still got a legacy and it's still alive and we're still laughing. I, I know that he would really appreciate that. So we we're both, for my part, just just thrilled to be here and be able to just celebrate him. He was a great guy and we loved him. Yeah. Yeah. Likewise, a very cool legacy. Thank you. It's an honor. And, to, mom, and mom to too. She kept us all. laughing for decades. I mean, both, oh, yeah. of, both of them special talents, and and this show is a tribute, and it's uh, it's in in gratitude for for all of the laughs and the, the entertainment that these people have provided. Thank you guys for being a part of it. Yeah, thanks for your laughs tonight. It was fun. Thank it was you. Fun. Thank you. A, a real joy, Gil. You want to take us out? Ah, uh, once again, I'm Gilbert Gottfried, and this has been Gilbert Gottfried's amazing colossal podcast with my co-host Frank Santo Padre. And uh, tonight we uh, we're closing and saying thank you to Dave. Got jo- <laughs> <laughs> I told you, Frank. <laughs> Dave. Jo- Dave just cow. Uh, Mark, let's check. Bob. <laughs> Where do you see Mark? <laughs> <laughs> oh, Bob, 
Fuck the lights, Jack. <laughs> Ask her Matta socks. Yeah, and, and watch. Wait, if I fuck up Clubman, that's. Like, <laughs> 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 Actually, that might be perfect. <laughs> Adam Klugman and Dave Klugman. <laughs> we're gonna thank, we're, you. thank you guys. Believe it or not, we're gonna go out on something from the Odd Couple album. <laughs> Put it on in post. Thank you, gentlemen. Great. This was a joy. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you, Frank. Good night, everyone. Yeah, thank thanks you. a lot. You know, buddy, hmm? we've had our ups and downs. Mm -hmm. We had our fights and our arguments, but we've always snapped back. And I have figured out why. Why? Look, there is a battleship. Mm -hmm. There is a sailing ship, mm -hmm. but the most important ship is friendship. If you're ever in a jam, here I am. If you're ever in a mess, S.O.S. If you ever feel so happy you land in jail, I'm your bail. It's friendship, friendship. Just a perfect friendship When other friendships have been forgot Ours will still be hot Laudle, 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 vododio Take it, baby If you're ever up a tree Phone to me, take it, baby If you're ever down a well Ring my bell You heard me well Ring me alone If you ever lost your teeth And you're out to dine Borrow mine It's friendship Friendship Just a perfect friendship When other friendships Have been forgate Ours will still be great La da 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 Chuck 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 Take it yourself if you ever lose your mind, I'll be kind. I'll let you go. If you ever lose your shirt, I'll be hurt. Lend me twenty dollars now. We, I got a good horse. If you're ever in a mill and get sawed in half, I won't laugh. It's friendship, friendship, just a perfect friendship. When other friendships go up in smoke. Ours will still be hope. Laddle, 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 boop, 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 boop. If they ever hang you part, send a card. Boop, boop. If they ever cut your throat, send a note and read it. If they ever make a cannibal still of you, invite me too. Lot a lot a lot of hip hip hip. Ours will still be it. Lot a lot a lot of hip hip hip. Ours will still be it. Lot a lot a lot of hip hip hip.